All right, we are continuing this morning our series, The Gospel and Sexuality, and our scripture reading is 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 20. You can join me there. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? If you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? but not rather be defrauded, but you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Uh, So if you're new with us, really glad you're here. And here's the deal. No matter where you're coming from this morning, we're really, really glad you're here. Um, Redeemer City, we, each week, week in, week out, uh, we preach good news. And although that news oftentimes is challenging, um, one of the reasons that it's challenging is it's, it's meant to be not the sting of poison, but the sting of medicine. It's actually meant to heal. And so it is with the series. And um, this is actually part two of where we were last week. We were in this passage last week. And what we said last week about this passage was this, is what you do with your body is determined by what story you live in. What you do with your body is determined by what story you live in. And um, we said this last week, that that the modern story is essentially this. Um, I can do what I want with with, with my body as long as I don't hurt anyone. I can decide what's right or wrong for me because there is no capital T truth. And therefore, 
kind of the average baseline for the average person that's just walking the streets is simply this. I am free to do what I want with my body. Now, here's what's perhaps interesting, is that the Apostle Paul, a little over 2,000 years ago, is writing a letter to a church in the city of Corinth. And here's what we find. We find that they're living the same way. In fact, the text we just read, there are men in the church who are going to temple prostitutes to sleep with them, which, by the way, was socially acceptable in that day. And in essence, they were saying this, I am free to do what I want with my body. So here we have 2,000 years ago, and we have today, and it's the same motto. But here's what's incredible and surprising. The Apostle Paul, as he engages with this situation, he does not throw ethics at them. He doesn't throw the Ten Commandments at them. Rather, he tells them an alternative story. He, he tells them the gospel story. Last week, we saw, as we began this section, Paul began with the bodily resurrection of Jesus. That's where he begins on this topic. And we saw last week how that gives our bodies incredible dignity and purpose and hope. And this week, there's this like record scratch. Because there's this crescendo that goes all the way to the end. And... Uh, <laughs> This is, this is Paul. He, it, it's almost like if you were up here, this is like the drop the mic, the mic moment. Because at the end of verse 19, end of verse 20, look at what he says. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Paul, in essence, says this. Uh, you're not free to do what you want with your body. Why? Because it's not yours. It's Jesus' body. In other words, Paul is suggesting that the question is not, what do I want to do with my body? But Jesus, what do you want me to do with my body? You know, one pastor friend who is um, <laughs> preaching on this, he, he said this, this is insane in our day, Right? In an age of self-fulfillment, self-gratification, self-expression, all of which comes from this notion that my body is mine, Paul says it's not yours. The gospel story says it's not yours. Now, if you understand what's happening here, you, you have to have, if you're even like a little bit awake this morning, you have to have at least one question in your mind, is why would anyone give up their freedom of doing what they want with their body and instead giving themselves to Jesus and doing what he wants to do with our body? Well, the answer that the text gives all comes down to this phrase that you've been purchased. It all, it all centers there. If you understand What's happening there, you've been purchased. You'll begin to understand the frame of mind that would say, yes, Jesus, my body is yours. It's not mine. 
And that language is a language of redemption. In other words, the scriptures say that the story from cover to cover is a redemption story. So we're going to see five things this morning. I know five, all right? We're going to see a template for redemption. We're going to see the need for redemption, the grace of redemption, the price of redemption, and then lastly, the counterintuitive freedom of redemption. So, that's a lot. This is so good. Paul is so good here. Let's pray. Let's get in. Father, we um, pray for your help this morning. Would you illuminate for us this story of redemption found in the person and work of Jesus? Would you show us afresh who you are and would you change us? We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, the template of redemption. Um, a simple definition for redemption is, is, is simply this. It's, it's to purchase someone out of bondage in order to set them free. And the actual roots of that word go back to essentially two different places in the Old Testament. One is the story of the Exodus, where in the book of Exodus, God's people are in slavery in Egypt, and God redeems them, rescues them out of slavery, sets them free. But the second, and it's where we're going to focus today, is in the book of Hosea. And the background for Hosea, I want to just kind of lay it over this passage in 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, it's, it's almost, it's almost, well, it's, it's kind of disturbing, actually. Because in essence, Hosea is a prophet who's, who's serving at a time in which God's people have been unfaithful. And God says, all right, we're going to do a living sermon illustration. Hosea, I want you to marry Gomer, who is a prostitute. And so Homer marries, excuse me, not Homer, that's something else. Hosea <laughs> marries Gomer, who is a prostitute, and is supposed to live with her to be a living example of how God is toward his people. And so in chapter 3, just three verses we're going to look at, the Lord instructs Hosea, after his divorce, because of Gomer's unfaithfulness, to redeem her, to buy her back, even though she's been unfaithful. So, so look with me for a moment at Hosea 3, 1 through 3. And the Lord said to me, and this is, again, the Lord speaking to Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. I know that's strange, but we'll get there. So I, brought, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley, and I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. So here's a template, and we're going to do these, the, the next four points, right? First of all, we see in this passage is this, is someone who is in bondage and they cannot free themselves. That's what's happening to Gomer here, and that's the need for redemption. But secondly, um, the person that's being rescued doesn't actually deserve it. Like, there's nothing they do to merit it, and that's the grace. We're going to see that in a moment. Thirdly, there's a price that has to be paid. You can't just go free. There's a price, and that's, we'll see that's third. And then lastly, the person is freed. But we're going to see in this passage, and we'll see in 1 Corinthians 6 as well, all the way through, it's a counterintuitive freedom. 
It's not what you would think. It's not how we understand freedom, okay? So firstly, the need. Uh, when Hosea shows up, notice that the divorced wife is in bondage, and this is quite common in that day. Um, when you had a debt, you would put yourself in servitude to another, and you'd be owned by them. And so Gomer is in bondage. She cannot free herself, and that's where she is. Now, what's interesting is that's actually the storyline of the Bible. That's actually the big overarching story of the Bible. In other words, the overarching narrative of the Bible is that we are in bondage, and we cannot free ourselves, that we are in bondage to sin. And thinking about this issue of sexuality, you don't have to look very far to see it. Um, there's There's a teaching that Jesus gives in Matthew 5. He's unpacking the Ten Commandments, and look at what he says here. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus says something here. He says, here's the deal. Here's the commandment, so do not commit adultery. And then Jesus takes it like, he takes it like 40 billion stories higher and says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already done that. Now, I don't know about you, but like, okay, so you know when you're sitting in your living room, and I know it's dark these days, but you know when the sunlight comes in, and um, you're just sitting there, and you look in the sunlight, and there's all that particles that are there, and, you know, it's dust, right? And you recognize you're going to have to dust later, but you didn't see them before. And it's not that the light created the dust. That was always there, right? When Jesus teaches this, he is... He is like a light that's shining into our hearts. He's showing something that's true about us. And it's not very pretty, right? Because, in other words, Jesus is saying, our innate nature is actually to dehumanize others and have them serve us. And if you flip it, what Jesus is after, he's saying, you were created to actually serve others. Not to dehumanize them, not to use them, but actually you to serve them implicit with your body in a way that's faithful and glorifies God. And so, you know, here's the interesting part. When you begin to read Scripture and begin to see what Jesus says about sexuality, for example, you begin to say, oh my word, there's no way I can do that. I can't, I can't go that high. In other words, we're in bondage. That's the point. Like Gomer, we are in bondage. We are in need of redemption. But there's also the grace of redemption. Because notice in verse 1 of Hosea, God says to, her, God says to Hosea, go, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Now that is an incredible statement. Because when we think of love, we oftentimes think simply of conditional love. We love those who love us. We love those who are lovely. We love those who are kind to us. And, you know, here's one of the things I noticed about myself is, have you ever, you know, have you ever, like, let someone down? My natural, like, like, like when that happens to me, what I tend to do is I withdraw. That's just what I do. Why? Because... I feel vulnerable. I don't feel worthy of their love. And oftentimes, to be honest with you, a lot of our relationships 
this is how we operate. We operate in such a way where I don't really want people to know me because if they know who I really am, then they might not love me, right? But here, notice how strikingly different this love is that Hosea is have to have towards Gomer. She has been unfaithful to him, and yet he is to pursue her with a love that is counter-conditional. And in fact, at verse 1, it says that mirrors how the Lord loves the children of Israel. And just to be for a moment on this topic of sexuality, oftentimes when we talk about it, there, there's, there's levels of deep shame and guilt that a lot of us have related to this topic. And one of the things we wonder is, could God really love me? And yet what's striking is, and it was actually read this morning, verses 9 through 11 of 1 Corinthians. Let's look there again. Notice, notice again how Paul describes these people. He says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then look at this turn right here in verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Did you catch that? In other words, they weren't lovely. They didn't deserve God's love. And yet, because of Jesus, they'd been washed, they'd been sanctified. And that means, here's the deal, like, going back to Jesus' statement, Matthew 5, we're all guilty. None of us has cleared that height. In other words, we're in that list, but that's the point, that he still loves us. It's counter-conditional. You, you need to hear that in this series. Because we, we said this last week, oftentimes some of the taproot of why we do what we do with our bodies is because we really don't think we matter. We really don't think God loves us. And, and what we see here in relationship to Hosea to Gomer, in relationship to God to us, it's counter-conditional. Now, next is the price. Um, in Hosea 3, Hosea buys Gomer for 15 shekels and some produce. And of course, you know, that was how much she was in debt. That's, that's why he had to pay it. But in 1 Corinthians 6, at the very end, remember, Paul says this, you were bought with a price. In other words, in order to free us, sin is not something that God can merely wink at. The, the scriptures are clear that sin is serious. And yet, this is the most remarkable thing, is, is the price, is what was God willing to pay? And perhaps no one puts it better 
than Peter in his epistle, he writes this in 1 Peter 1.18. He writes, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Commentators note that in Hosea 3, the amount paid was kind of the going rate for someone who was a slave. In other words, not that much. But do you understand the contrast now? What's happening when Paul says you were bought with a price? What is he saying? He's saying the eternal Son of God laid down his life for you, gave his blood for you, gave his body for you. You know, um, a while back, our, our family was going through um, kind of the Sherlock Holmes series. It's the one with Benjamin Cumberbatch. And, and there's a scene later on in the series where, you know, Sherlock Holmes is coming up upon, uh, you know, one of the people they're catching. And... Um, in the middle of kind of confronting the person, the person turns with a gun and is going to shoot uh, Sherlock. And Dr. Watson's wife, Mary, is there. And she jumps in front and she takes the bullet. And, you know, if you know anything about the Sherlock Holmes series, you know, like, he's not the most uh, nice person, right? There's not a lot of people that love him, you know, or vice versa. And a while after that happened, there's a scene in which Sherlock says this, in saving my life, she conferred a value on it. And I am unsure how to spend that currency. It's interesting, is it not, that like in a fictional series about someone giving their life for another, we begin to see something. That what, what someone giving themselves for us, it confers a value. And that's fictional. But friends, don't you understand? Paul is saying in space, time, and history, that has happened, and that's, and that's the eternal Son of God himself for you. It's not... It's not 15 shekels and some produce. It's his life. It's his body. Lastly, it leads to a counterintuitive freedom. You know, in verse 3, after Hosea frees Gomer by paying the price, he says this, You must dwell as mine for many days, You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. Now, this is interesting because we often think of freedom as, and we said this last week, as the absence of all constraints, no responsibilities, no obligation. But notice here, you know, Gomer purchases, excuse me, Hosea purchases Gomer and says, no longer can you sleep around. You are called to be faithful to me. 
and I will be faithful to you. And that means Gomer is going to have to change the way she lives. But why? Why is that? It's so that she might experience the depth and intimacy of the relationship with the one who has purchased her and loves her. And see, if you're married, you get this. In fact, you don't even have to be married to get this. Right? Like, no one enters marriage and says, hey, is it okay if I have another relationship? Right? You enter into vows where you say, I forsake all others. And this is why, in 1 Corinthians 6, when Paul says you're not your own, the rest of the section just lays out so perfectly here. Because in verse 15, notice Paul says, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Paul is saying, if you're with Jesus, you no longer are your own. You are mysteriously yet truly spiritually united with Christ in such a way that what you do with your body is what he does with your body. It's why in verse 18, Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because in verse 19, he goes on to say, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? That is amazing. The the, the temple was a place where God's presence dwelt in the Old Testament. It was sacred, it was clean, and now Paul says, that's you. The Spirit of God dwells in your body. You're not your own. You've been purchased. Paul is reminding them, this is your story, this is who you are, and this is whose you are. And Richard Hayes, in his commentary, perfectly summarizes this. Listen to what he says. Once we confess that we are not our own, that we have been bought with a price, all talk of sexual autonomy becomes nonsense. We are not free to do anything we like, not free to invent our own standards, not free to behave as moral free agents. We are bound to a relationship of obedient faithfulness to Christ. And so this is the question that honestly just presses in on each of us. What are we going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? Pastor Scott Cunningham is so helpful here. He put it this way. Christ does not come to you and impose himself on you. He doesn't force himself on you, but he does say, he does say, if you come to me, here's here's the path. It's self-denial and it's a cross. No matter your sexual orientation, there's a cross. In other words, you can choose sexual autonomy And you can leave Christ behind. But you can't have both. And this is where, like, this is the question, right? Why would anyone do that? 
Why would anyone say, sign me up for a life committed to obedient faithfulness to Christ with my body? Why would anyone do that? Especially in this day. Why? It's simply this. He's given his body first. That's why. That's what Paul is saying here. In other words, Jesus says, if you come to me in a world that's filled with living for self, of self-expression and self-gratification and self-fulfillment, Jesus says, I have another way. I have another way. You must lose your life in order to gain it. And it's a marked life by self-sacrifice and self-denial and service to others, either in marriage or singleness, in a way that glorifies God. And then we'll be there in the next two weeks to figure out what that looks like. But let me close with this. There's, a, there's kind of an acclaimed foreign film named Three Seasons, and it's a, a series of vignettes about life in post-war Vietnam. And one of the stories is about Hai, who's a cyclo driver. It's a bicycle race kind of thing. And, and Lan, a beautiful prostitute. And both of them have just deep, unfulfilled desires. Hai is in love with Lan. And Lan lives in a grinding poverty, and she longs to live in the beautiful world where she works, but in which she never spends the night. Her hope is that the money she makes in prostitution will be her means of escape. But instead, the work just brutalizes her and enslaves her. And then High enters a cyclo race, and he wins the top prize. With the money, he brings Lan to the hotel. He pays for the night, and he pays her fee. And then, to everyone's shock, he tells her he just wants to watch her fall asleep. Instead of using his power and wealth to have sex with her, he spends it to purchase a place for her for one night in a normal world to fulfill her desire to belong. And Land finds such grace deeply troubling at first, thinking that maybe, you know, Hannah's just done this to, you know, to control her. But then it becomes apparent after time that what is he doing? He's using his power to serve her rather than to use her. And that's what begins to change her. And she can't go back to her old way of life. Don't you see? Again, a fictional story. But what we're talking about today is the real stuff. The person of Christ who in your need has come. The person of Christ who with a counter-conditional love has come. The person of Christ who with the price of his blood has come. 
and offers you a counterintuitive freedom, a fidelity to him, and glorifying God with your body in response to him. Tim Keller just puts it this way. Why would you not want to offer yourself to him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, this morning for this great truth of redemption that is available in your Son and that transforms us. Just pray that you would uproot the lies that we believe about ourselves, the lies that we believe about you, the lies that we believe about how we live, And Lord, you replace them with the truth of your sacrificial, costly, counter-conditional love for us in the person of Jesus and that that would shape us as a people to be faithful to you. And we ask this in your name.